Thanks everyone for coming. Uh, I made a little outline today just because every time uh, I seem to speak, I, probably there's more words that are coming out of my mouth than either I'm able to take in or you're able to take in. So try to slow down a little bit. And uh, we have visitors, so we'd like to impress them with our knowledge today. So I'll try to do that. You know, and, uh, we'll do our best. You know, <laughs> um, I just like to speak on a topic today. Uh, the Law and the Prophets, and uh, just the, the unique application that I'd like to give is, is when the, the term in the New Testament is used, it's used really to reference the whole of the Old Testament. And sometimes as believers, I don't say this as a blanket statement, but sometimes when you open your body Bible for application, you usually turn to the epistles. Uh, it's something that we do right off the bat. And, and some of that is because men have spoken from the Old Testament, and sometimes the application is what we call fanciful. It, it, sometimes it can be, where you could apply anything. You know, you could, uh, you could draw any example from anyone. You know, um, uh, my uncle spoke last week on a one-woman man, and he spoke on uh, Isaac. You know, and I'm thinking, well, you only got one man there to do that with. You know, so he could break down a little bit the application. So... Um, but uh, just so uh, you say, well, how does the Old Testament apply to my life as a New Testament? The one way we could do that is to trace the term and its use throughout the New Testament. Because it is used a couple of times. Um, I wasn't going to read a verse to open up. Uh, we may, though. I could read. There's one time where it seems that the Bible is divided into three sections. And we, we get that in Luke 24. Uh, it speaks of the law and of the Psalms and of the prophets. So there's a threefold division there. But most of the time, it's only two sections. The law and the prophets. Uh, maybe as an introduction to get you, to get you warmed up. You know, sometimes you've got to... They tell you, you know, start start slow until we get into a full 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 pace here. Um, when we talk about the law, we often say, when the Lord was confronted with Satan, and Satan tempted him, he quoted Deuteronomy. We say, yeah, yeah, he quoted Deuteronomy three times. And we uh, men have drawn the parallel that David was confronted with the, the giant, and he had five stones, and he only used one. And, and just like Christ had five books to quote from, he used one. And it's a great, it's a great correspondence or connection there. But Goliath had four other brothers, right? You know, so he said he had four other stones. And just like that, when it come time, uh, Christ, remember there was, um, there was a Pharisee and, uh, he would ask, uh, I guess it was more so he was a Pharisee, he would ask about divorce. Well, he quoted from Genesis, remember, about God making them man and woman to begin with. And when there was a, a topic, the Sadducees would quote, ask him about death. Well, he would quote from Exodus. And uh, when there was a question about the law from uh, the scribes, he quoted from Leviticus. And then, of course, we all remember the ruler that came to Jesus by night and had a question about new birth. Well, he took him back to Numbers and the serpent on the pole. So all five stones were used. Uh, it's uh, unique there. So that might be the law, uh, just to go back a little bit. When you talk about the law, usually they're talking about the first five books, Genesis to Leviticus. Um, there are those five books. But you can, also, you can also broaden it a little bit to even some of the historical books if you want. And the prophets are what we talk about, the prophets. So um, another example, I think I've mentioned this here before, but when Christ wanted to give authority to the whole scriptures, he used two prophets, or he called them prophets. Um, he said... Uh, from the prophet, he talked from the blood of Abel to the blood of, of Zacharias. He said, uh, 
He said, uh, those two men, uh, you, you, you've stoned, you've killed all these prophets. Well, well, Abel was mentioned in Genesis, and Zacharias was mentioned in Second Chronicles. And, and in their Bible, those were the first and the last books. I, I think I mentioned this when I did the, uh, our little thing on the Bible there. So he, he uses the law when he's arguing with people, but he also uses the prophets to, to, give, uh, to give authority to the scriptures. When he talks about, uh, from Genesis, we would say from Genesis to Malachi, but he said from Genesis to Second Chronicles. So that's unique there. Um, when it comes down to, uh, there's some other things that you can talk about. Uh, for instance, in the book of John, in John 5, there's two searches in John. We're, we're always called to search out, right? To search things. So there's two searches in John. The first search is in John 5, where Christ says, Hey, search the scriptures, for you think you have eternal life, and they testify of me. Well, the background to that is Deuteronomy, because he tells those people, he says, you know what? You have neither heard, nor my father's voice, nor seen him. And he's referring back there to the mount in Deuteronomy, the law. The next search comes in John 7, remember, where the rulers would say, search the scriptures, or search, because no prophet comes out of Galilee. Well, it gives you an example. Never be too dogmatic in your statements, because you'll probably be proven wrong. Because there were prophets that, that did come out of Galilee, right? Jonah came from Galilee. So did Elijah, uh, Elijah there. So uh, it's, it's something to say that when he used the law and the prophets, uh, he used them uh, as he was talking to people. So it would give us authority to do the same or to talk about them. That's kind of more of a warm-up. So what I'd like to do, and hopefully it's not too much, hopefully you can follow me, is just look at the term when it's used throughout the Scripture. It's probably used maybe a dozen times. Some of them come in pairs. In fact, the first two and the last two come in pairs. Whenever that term, the law and the prophets, is mentioned, we'll try to draw something of a direct application to our own lives. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we hear application and we say, well, that's nice, but I see it another way. Well, usually these are pretty direct. These are not uh, arguable. Okay, so uh, I'm looking at good, Melvin responding back there. You know, these are not ones where we'll make application. And you'll go, that's very fanciful. That's nice. You know, you, you take that and you run with it, but I'm going the other way. So we'll start with Matthew. Now I don't know if you want to turn to these. I, I wrote up a little list there for you. If you want, you can. And I'm just going to to talk about them, where these terms are used in the New Testament. So the first pair come between, one is mentioned in Matthew 5 and 17, and one is mentioned in Matthew 7 and 12. Now they're unique and they come together because in between that is the time where the Lord really is speaking about the law. And what he's saying is, you have heard that it is written, but I say. And there you have one who really is, is giving authority to his own words. They're, 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 they're of equal authority to what God had spoken when he spoke at Sinai there. So he says there, he says, uh, I haven't come to, this is Matthew 5 and 17, I haven't come to destroy the law and the prophets. Right? That's what he says. He goes, I, I haven't come to destroy them. Um, we want to, maybe we'll just read that real quick. Matthew 5 and 17. We'll just read the two there. Matthew 5 and 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, a jot or a tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. And if you go to Matthew 7 and 12, he says there, 
This is, this is, even the kids would know this. We call this the golden rule. He says, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. So it's important, the first mention of something will give you the idea of what's, what's going to happen from there on. And really the idea of the law, we'll, we'll go on later about it, is, is what God has given us. And therefore, lets us to go out to other men, right? We're able to communicate our relationships with other men. So he says, I haven't come to destroy the law. And so our first application really would be that the Christian isn't under law. Well, you say, well, how do the law and the prophets apply to us if we're not under law? You say, I I can understand so much as maybe not stealing or um, uh, maybe... Uh, not lying or, 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 or giving a false testimony. I can understand those things that, that that's even something that, that the secular world believes in, right? Um, but the Christian's not under law. Like, there's no law that tells you to come to meeting today. You say, there isn't? You know, I, I wish there were, right? Um, to be honest, right? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I wish there were a law. Maybe more people would come. Um, no, that's not true. There's no law. But, but, but we take principle from law. And Christ says, I haven't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it and all that it spoke of. And, and sometimes maybe we look at the law and say, well, we're separated from it. And uh, we, we don't actually take the application of it in the Christian life. I'll give you one that everyone can use this week. Do we keep the Sabbath? What do you think? Anybody want to shake your head? No? Yes? No one knows. <laughs> so we can say, no, no, we don't keep the Sabbath. You know, I met people, I think uh, they were in my family. Uh, maybe uh, they used to, you know, you couldn't go out and get gas on Sunday, or you couldn't do this on Sunday or that. I remember even growing up, I think one time I got grounded because I put my head in the pool on Sunday. It was the Sabbath day. You know, No, it wasn't the Sabbath, okay? I don't know where you got that idea. It's not there, right? But, but the principle is, is that we work just constantly Monday to Saturday, and we treat Sunday like a Sabbath. We, we rest, right? We go home today, we take naps. What else do we do? I don't know. You got to eat a big turkey meal, and then we pass out for five hours, and then get up and come back to prayer meeting. And man, that was, oh, God, I got my rest in today. Well, no, that's not the point. The point is that it's the Lord's Day, right? If you had rested yesterday, you would have been energized today, right? If you had actually done your Sabbath resting... God didn't intend man to be a machine, to walk, to work these six days. And I understand we all work on Saturdays. I worked yesterday too, just a couple hours. But, but the, the point is, is that if you don't rest, and you treat today as your rest, well, man, well, what are you going to do? I, I offered my nap unto the Lord, you know? I, that's, that's not what the point was. So you can see how the law, in principle, still has an effect on us. He didn't come to destroy the law. And really what that takes effect to in Matthew here is, is it goes on to say that really the golden rule, the law should teach us, because there were five commandments of our obedience to God and five towards man, it really should allow us to treat each other the way we would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. And it says there in Matthew 7, right? It says all the law and the prophets, that's what they say. They say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's a... It's a basic principle that you get throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's undeniable. Okay, So it doesn't give us right that in our Christian liberty that we're going to talk down to people or to tell them that they don't know what they're talking about. Right? We, we treat one another with a respect, whether they're believers or unbelievers. Uh, we go on to the next one, Matthew 11 and 13. And there it says that the prophets 
I guess we can just read them and may help out. Most of these are very common scriptures, so trying to play off a little bit of what would be common knowledge here. Matthew 11 and 13 says, says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, right? Uh, just the verse there. Um, the context here, if you went back to verse 11, would be that... Uh, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then he goes on to say, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Well, it tells us that we belong to a, a unique period here. I think I wrote that. Maybe I'll follow my outline here a little bit. A unique period, right? We call it the church period. And you say, uh, it's unique because the law and the prophets, they, they told about this. They were going to speak about a coming day. When, when, when the Messiah would come. And he would set up his, his church. Although the church was a mystery. It was going to talk about a coming day. They, they talked about the kingdom. And they, they spoke about it. But we are citizens right, of the kingdom. And sometimes we confuse that verse there. When we think about the, the different time periods. The law and the prophets were until John. And then something new was ushered in. We, we, get, we think about you know, different groups in the, in the scriptures. Uh, I was talking to my brother Seth last night. We were talking about the different groups in the Bible and, and how to make uh, you know, heads of tails and, and different things like that. But when we talk about he that is least in the kingdom is greater, uh, you can speak for yourself, but there's probably not a lot of us here that, are, that would be greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest of the prophets. But you say, well, what's, what's the point? The point is, is that what we enjoy here as members of his body... Really, we are, we are greater than what came before. That, that time period of law and prophets. That this church period, we have things that no one else had. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. What we did this morning when we remembered Him in the breaking of bread, we're not going to do that in heaven. Abraham didn't do that, right? It's unique to this time period. We are indwelt by the God of heaven. So it's something that, that you take in, that you say, indeed, we are greater he that is least, right? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. We, we often use that uh, when we go to see our kids perform in failing athletic matches, right? You say, don't worry, the first will be last, the last will be first. Well, that's not the case. The case is, is that really the last of all these groups, you know, uh, in, in Scripture will be the first, right? Be the first to go. The church will be the first taken home there uh, and, and to be followed up with, with the nation and then with Gentiles. So it's unique there. Uh, just something to think of. Uh, I just I mentioned that there, the unique church period. Matthew 22 and 40. A very common one. One that everyone's probably thought of or quoted. And I just wanted to uh, bring that out because I think sometimes we miss the meaning there. Matthew 22 and 40 says, there's a ruler there and he says... Uh, it says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, the context there is that uh, there's a lawyer who asked him a question, tempting him. And he says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, he wasn't asking him, you know, we have these top ten lists. You know, well, hey, uh, you know, who? sometimes you say, who are the top ten, you know, who are the top five preachers at the conference? Give me a list, you know. Or, or we say, Master, what are the, the, the top two commandments? Well, he wasn't saying that. You know, Christ doesn't even quote from the ten commandments there. He, he draws from other commandments. He quotes from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. You know, what this lawyer was saying is, and it's something that we should think about today, what makes any commandment any good? What makes any law? What's the virtue in having a law at all? What's the point? 
What's the point of having a commandment? Or even 10? Or 622? If you've thought about it, you know, God wasn't just arbitrarily, you know, making it difficult for people. We know that He set a law so that we could know we would fall short. But even Christ would say, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's the point of having a law? And maybe you've laid down laws for your kids, you know, uh, do this or else, you know, or, or, or law. It, it's unique when we come here. If you had to tell your wife, listen, I want you to tell me you love me Monday mornings at eight o'clock, you know, be like, wow, you know, hey, you know, lay down the law, you know, if you don't do that, you're out, out the door, you know. So, but, but no, that that would make it very. That would, that would make that would take all the I don't know I'm, I don't have a wife so I, it, I'm sure it would take the love out of it wouldn't it you know so I'm sure that would be quite awful we have a, a new married couple here I'm sure if it was like you know if you said to your wife hey this is the time this is the place I want you to tell me you love me you know I'd be like okay I'll do it you know whatever but no God wants willing service right so what's the virtue in any law well the virtue in any law was that he said it he goes love the Lord your God with everything you have. And then love your fellow men perfectly as well. The virtue in any law is that we would, because of our relationship with God, be able to express it to our fellow man. That's the point of any law. That's the point, that's the virtue in the law, is that it tells us that if this is right, this will be right. There was one man who did it, right? We talk about Christ, who who perfectly was obedient to God, perfect love to God, perfect love to man. Do that, and you'll live. And he died, right? That's what we talk about when we talk about the the virtue of having a law was that it might be. That's why in in, in Peter there, First Peter, it talks about a royal priesthood and a holy priesthood. That that when we come together this morning, that our hearts in in the vertical, if, if they're not right. It's going to make for a lousy gospel message on the horizontal, right? You know, if you don't claim to have been in touch with God during the week, you'll have nothing to give to people in the audience on Sunday night. Uh, I don't even say that. that that's not hyperbole. Uh, that's, that's, that's the fact. So, so keep that in mind. That I know sometimes it's hard to take a platform here to preach in the gospel, or even as we would do here, but I, I would I would really really urge you don't do it uh, unless your relationship that way and not not that you're coming here we always say you're coming here and uh, I would be sitting there just now and going you know no I can't do it this is not right no it, it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle that this relationship if it's right that it'll 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 show in my relationship towards men and that's what we see there when he asks the greatest of the commandments Christ in turn tells him the virtue that is in the law. We go on. Uh, those are three in Matthew. Uh, Luke 16 and 16 seems to be a repetition somewhat of the one that we read in Matthew uh, or, or in, in Matthew 11. Uh, we can read it. There's something else maybe to bring out from that. Luke 16 and 16 says, um, The law and the prophets were until John... And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. And I have there just the idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, there it seems to be the emphasis on the law and the prophets and the kingdom of God. Um, just realizing that God's word will stand forever. 
that, that I've, I've heard a lot of Christians and they, they seem to think that there are certain parts of the Bible that are not applicable to them and they include the law in that. And it, it's important to realize that the Bible wasn't all written to us, but it was all written for us. So that's an application that we can take where John says here, the law and the prophets were until John. That's true, but he finishes his statement by saying creation will pass away before ever God's word passes away. So it's important to remember that too, that that there's nothing that that we can't benefit from here as far as God's kingdom program is concerned. So you you keep that in mind. I've had a lot of people come up to me and they'll tell you exactly what is not applicable to the Christian and that's great. I'm glad that you spent all your time figuring out what you don't have to do. But realize that the principles in the Word are applicable to us as a whole. Um, to go on from there. Uh, Luke 24, and 27 and 44. There's two verses there. One says Moses and the prophets. The other one is the one time where it's divided into three sections. Um, it talks about... I think uh, if you've ever had a question on this one, let me just get to it here. Luke 24 and 27 says, And he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things... Oh, we'll go before And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then he says it again in verse 44. These are the words which I spake unto you all. I was with you and all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, the Psalms uh, concerning me. So it's, it's, it's what we can draw from this maybe would be a, a renewed interest to study the types, right? Like if I were to ask you, tell me, I don't know, the five offerings. I would ask you, Keta, five offerings. Could you give them to me? Yeah. Don't answer no. We don't want everyone to know that. You know. If I were to go to the back and say, "Hey, tell me the feast of Jehovah," you know, you'd be like, "Hey, that's not for me, buddy." <laughs> you know? But when Christ said, Christ opened to them uh, the Bible. You know, he didn't go to Acts, right? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't all of a sudden just go to them. Let's turn to Hebrews. You know. Uh, no, he, he he expounded unto them himself in the scriptures. And I think that we've lost sight of that. When's the last time you heard someone get on the platform here and talk about types? I think sometimes we do it, and maybe we do it a little fancifully. You know, uh, some, so someone has said that the types are kind of like modern art. They can be anything. You know, it just no. They, there are types that actually mean something, and it's a good thing that you can get so much more information from them because they speak of Christ, and, and it's something to, to renew an interest in amongst all the believers. These are things that you should engage in, right? And, and Christ, the first thing he does to these two people is he shows them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. And when we speak of death and resurrection, they were there in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets. So there, the present application, which is undeniable, is that without a knowledge of these things, our knowledge of Christ is, is only weaker, is only less. So something, something to engage in. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a challenge, if you want to take it like that, right? Uh, uh, I think we need to be challenged. Go home and do something, right? You know, turn off the television. Look, look at these things which you consider as dry as bones. But really, there's, there's so much to them. If you just took time to meditate on some of these types, okay? You say, this better get over it because he's really, really laying it on here. <laughs> um, uh, I gotta, here's a good one. Okay. Um, John 1 and 43. John only mentions the law of the prophets one time. 
You don't have to flip far. John 1.43 says, um, says, and he brought him, uh, just read in context here, uh, uh, Andrew, um, Simon Peter's brother, he first finds his own brother Simon said to him, we have found we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt uh, be called Cephas, which by interpretation is stone. I may have the wrong reference there. John 1, 43. Oh, it's the next verse. I'm sorry. My, I, my eyes are going here. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Um... So Philip findeth Nathanael and say to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip's an interesting guy because Philip, he knew the sketch, right? Uh, you ever see it, you know, like we always think of the, the police, when the police come to the scene and the body, you know, you have the sketch on the ground, right? And it's always kind of comical, like the way that the guy, you know, or the guy's out like this or whatever. Uh, so you have the sketch. Uh, you, you have your kids, your kids' pictures are probably on your fridge, right? Uh, I've seen some of them. And, and it had an outline, and the coloring is all over the place, right? And you, you're so proud of your kid, though, really. And it takes someone like me to come over and go, your kid's never going to be an artist, you know, just give up now. Philip knew the sketch. He knew what, what he was looking for. He says, hey, come. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets, they, this, this is whom they talked about. There's no doubt. You know, there would be doubt because you think, Jesus of Nazareth? No, no, no. Philip, he knew the sketch. He knew where he was to be born, where he was to come. He was to be called a Nazarene. He knew this one that was going to come. He knew him so well without ever having met him that when he did see him, no doubt. It comes as no surprise. Where do we find Philip ending up, right? He's on the road there, and he's sent with Ethiopian eunuch, and he gets up in the chariot. He says, hey, you understand what you're talking about, what you're reading here? If ever a man was going to be sent to talk to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch there, it was going to be someone who knew the sketch. He got up there, and he said, this is him. This is Christ. So in the beginning, he's the first one who Christ says to, follow me. You do a study on the disciples. No other disciples. This is the first one of whom it is written. He says, hey, follow me. He saw in Philip someone who understood the sketch. And so today, uh, it would be, uh, even as Mr. Carmichael was preaching this morning, I I thought about this. uh, It's good to know the foundation. It's good to know the sketch, the outline. Because coloring in all the time, you know, really what we're doing is we're putting on as it were, God's fridge, these outlines and the colorings all over the place, right? You know? Why do we wear a hat? I don't know, but I'm coloring, you know? Just outside the sketch. You know, why Why do I have to come here on Sunday morning? What's the purpose? I don't know. Just give me a blueprint, you know? And, and so sometimes understanding the foundation, too, it gives you so much more respect for the superstructure, right? I mean, how many of us, you know, I'm not a big foundational guy, but uh, Seth, he told me he went down to an engineering thing at NGIT, and they, they showed him how the foundations are built in Japan so that the when the earthquakes come through, the building don't go down. Well, that's important to you if your office is on the 52nd floor, right? You want to know what the foundation is built of. You're not just up there going, ah, I'm sure he colored within the lines, you know? No, it, it's a significance. Philip understood the sketch. He understood the foundation. When he come, he knew him. And it gives us something that if we understand why it is, truth always kind of goes on two wings, it's said. Precept is built on precept. 
So there's no arbitrary reason why we do anything here. There's always truth behind it that God has laid out in His Word. And that if someone were to ask you why, you've got to be able to give them an answer. Even this week, make sure that by next week, just ask yourself why. And then come up with the answer from the, from the, from the truth, right? From the Word. Just as Philip. Philip has spent his whole life. He knew what the outline was going to be of this man, the Messiah. And when he came, he knew it. That's what we get from there. Going on. The Acts. Uh, i got a couple from the Acts. i got time running out, though. So there's a couple there. I will just touch on one that has been uh, of, of a lot of importance to me recently. It's in Acts 13. The other ones I could draw uh, some, some from too. Uh, I'll let you do that though, uh, just because we only have about seven minutes left. Um, Acts 13 and verse 15, it says, now this is, this is right, this is Paul. He goes to Antioch here, and he's in the synagogue. And it says, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now if you look at verse 17 and 18, there's clear allusion to both Deuteronomy 1 and Isaiah 1. What does that tell you? That tells you that Paul would have been sitting in the synagogue, and that day, as scholars are agreed, they would have read Isaiah 1, and they would have read Deuteronomy 1. And Paul would have got up, and you know what he would have said? He said, uh, I'm going to preach to you from the Psalms. No, 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 no. He uses what they gave him. He uses exactly what they gave him. They read from those scriptures, so he gets up, and he preaches from them. And he tells them the truth that he wants to give to them, the gospel, from what they had just, just, just read. You think of Christ that day, when he was delivered unto him, the scroll from Isaiah. Uh, he didn't turn to that. That was delivered to him. He used what they gave him. And that day spoke to them. So, the principle to use. If you ask God for opportunities, He's going to give them to you. And you know what? Most times, He'll give you the message by the person that you're about to speak to. I, I can give you two examples. And they're personal. And you may think, uh, you know, I, I don't use a lot of personal stories. Uh, last Friday, I was in New York. And, and I have prayed this. This is something I've done. I would encourage you to is that you're given opportunities to witness to people. Because God's not going to hold back. I mean, He may give you a hundred a day, but just say, hey, maybe just two a day. Given opportunities, and, and I've asked for that. And, and on Friday, I, I was giving a friend of mine a tour of New York. The first man I ran into was a homeless man. And he was giving a little tour to us of St. John the Divine and his statue. And you know what he knew? He knew the whole book of Isaiah. So what did I do? Well, I talked to him from Corinthians, right? That's what I did. I told him. I told him all I knew about that. No, no. You think, how foolish. I said, hey, you know, Isaiah, have you ever gone through that 53rd chapter? And I started there. Not, this is not boasting myself. I'm just telling you what I did, right? I talked to him from what he knew. I, I would tell you that the second opportunity I filled it, I got into a taxi cab driver with a Muslim. I guess his name was Muhammad. And we had just seen someone come down a one-way street the wrong way. You know what he said to me? He said... He said, one time uh, I was on a highway and someone was coming the wrong way and, and uh, I, I was able to get out of the way. He said, he, said, he said, God is good. And I was silent. And that's sad. Because I had my opportunity right there. That was, my, that, was, that was it. That was the message. He gave me the message. I didn't have to ask him. He didn't even say Allah. He said, God is good. And I, I could have started right there. I said, yeah, God is good. You know, He sent His Son. 
But because he was a Muslim, I was maybe intimidated. I couldn't do it. Paul, in chapter 17, what does he do when he goes to Athens? Does he go, let's talk about the law and the prophets? No, no, no. He says, hey, I see you have an altar here. I see you have something here. It's to the unknown God. And he quotes their poets. And it gives us an idea that when we meet our co-workers and our friends and our family, you don't have to go at them and say, you know what? You've never done anything good, you loser. You know? No, no. What, what are you doing? Like, Why would you want to turn them off that quickly? You start where they are. I don't know where they are, but you would know that if they're family. Or they're going to give you something of which you can use to deliver to them the gospel. And you're not going to have to, to, to you know, decorate it or anything. You, you don't believe me. You ask. You watch. You go this week. You, just, you, you, you ask God. Say, give me opportunities. And I guarantee you, people will give you the message. Undoubtedly. At work, at school, wherever you are. They will give you the message. Because God wants to tell them. And you can start exactly where they're from. So right here, the Law and the Prophets are read. He starts at the Law of the Prophets and he tells them about Christ. Unique, right there. If you go through the other two times in the Acts, uh, before each time he's before different trials. Uh, before Felix uh, and Agrippa and that. And in one time, he talks about... Um, uh, worshiping God as a result of the law and the prophets. And that's something too. Uh, there, this is a, something of an application that when he talks about worshiping God, uh, the God that he has served, that he knows about from the law and the prophets, that even our worship towards God is not only something of our own experience from day to day, but really it can involve the experience of others that we read about and who we take from. And he goes on finally to talk about uh, at the end of Acts there, he talks about uh, God too, I think he refers to Moses and the law there, and there he talks about testimony, right? And who he is, who he has sought to be in his life, declaring to both the small and the great, right? The things that he has read about. So you get the idea of, of gospel work, and of worship, and of testimony, and all these things as a result of one who all he had was the law and the prophets. Uh, and finally, there's a there's a there's a duo there at the end. Acts 28 and 23, um, if you want to read that, it's, it's one of his last uh, sermons there. It really finishes the book of the Acts. Acts 28 and 23 says that um, he received them, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. And if you go to Romans 3 and 21... It's a well-known verse, if you want to turn there or not. It says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Uh, and I think sometimes, uh, we went and saw the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, last year, and a lady asked me, she says, you really think the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are together? Like, you really think there's similarities? And I think the question caught me like, you have no idea, you know? Like, I didn't know where to begin, you know? But a great place to begin, just to sort of similarity. Sometimes we think like uh, some of our Jewish friends, you know, we got a lot of them down in Clifton, and, and they're kind of me, we work for a lot, you know, and, and we're intimidated sometimes. But you can start not only in, in witnessing to them, which is by far a very difficult thing to do, but just to realize too that in our own lives that there's no difference today between the Jew and the Gentile, right? That there was a day where law was set up to show men and women that they could not be righteous before God. That no one's ever going to be righteous by following any laws. 
But what does Romans 3 tell us? That the law and prophets, they told us that. They told us, hey, you're never going to get this by following a law. But the righteousness of God is revealed without the law, right? It's by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. Romans goes on to tell us that in that argument, that extensive argument in the first through the eighth chapter about how we can be justified by faith in God. And so it's something to remember that, that the transition period there before when we look at those who were, were in a different economy, in a different time period, and they had the law to instruct them that they can't get to heaven based on the law. And it's such an easy principle. And you know what? 99.9% of the world is depending on law to get them to heaven. You talk to anyone, whether it's, it, it's anyone from, from Judaism or present-day Judaism, which is just Catholicism, Right to any of our friends who are you know that come to our door, the Jehovah's Witnesses, or or you know our would have been president who was a Mormon, all these groups, and you talk to them, and they're all depending on one shape or way on law, and you can just start and say, hey, you know what? The Bible clearly says law will never make you righteous, but it does tell us that even the Old Testament told us the law and the prophets. They said, hey, you know what? <laughs> what we have written declares that righteousness will be given to men, but it will only be given through justification by faith. And it's something that Paul lays out there. So, if you want to keep uh, you know these lined up, uh, don't 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 wave them around in case you know they're not. It's not that good. Um, but you can uh, keep that in mind. I guess the whole principle of it all is that uh, maybe reflecting a little bit more on one what what was written we can uh, give ourselves something to do, right? Because we need to grow as believers. And, uh, you know, sometimes I've talked about, you know, living like a Psalmocentric life where you're consumed with doing Facebook updates with Psalms, you know? And, you know, sometimes it's good to, to branch out of the Psalms, you know? Go to some of these laws, you know? And go, go to some of these, these books in the law and the prophets and see some of the more details of the sketch, right? Uh, just like I said, you know, we, we don't always have to, you know, Saturday night before a meeting open up to Philippians 2, you know, and say, okay, I'm doing my, my reading. No, we, you can go to the Old Testament. You can study these things. And they will cause us to worship. And they will give us practical applications for our lives now, even though they were written, uh, as we refer to it, in a bygone era, when they were for men that you know we'd say, well, we're different from them. And it's important to remember, the Bible wasn't all written to us, but it is all for us. So with that said, we'll just close in a word of prayer.